I really appreciate uh, being with you all here this morning. It's been a joy. You know, the last number of years, I've gotten to know a few folks from your church, but then there's just something about being here and seeing who you are as a, as a people. So thank you so much for having me. I guess the first connections go back to Eric and Kelly Lovers. We were together, uh, just a tremendous blessing to us just down the street, and we were part of a house church called Kingsville Clinton for a number of years, and then I got to know Brent and Julia. Nice to see the two of you this morning, and then, of course, uh, getting to know Tamil and Jeff as well. And so, anyhow, I, I had a very favorable impression of all of you prior to uh, arriving this, this morning, um, but now seeing you face-to-face has, has added to that, and, and no doubt you are in, in wonderful hands with Tamil leading you through this transition as well. Yeah, so like Tamil said, my name is Ryan Yancey. Uh, just in October, I started in a role with our ONMB staff working alongside Ed Wilms, and I believe Ed was here just a couple weeks ago, is that correct? Okay, yeah, so Ed and then our executive assistant, uh, Christy, so just lending them a hand, and I'll, yeah, I'll share a little bit about that. So uh, if you're not familiar, the Ontario Conference of MB Churches, we'll jump to the next slide, is made up of roughly 33 different churches and expressions of church across Canada. So you can see on the slide, they're all the way from, from Ottawa on down to Leamington and a number in between. And so my, my sense and my passion in entering this role is this, this belief that we, uh, I know it's cliche, it really is cliche, but we're better together. And this idea that with uh, people in different uh, geographic locations, people in different theological streams, different expressions of church, that we have a lot to learn from one another and that the Holy Spirit speaks through us to each other. And so I think that certain churches have different strengths and different areas of ministry that the rest of us need to learn from, or even in times where churches are in transition and we can come alongside and, and carry one another and encourage each other. So I actually I really think that a church on its own is not in its healthiest and most mature place, but it's when we're in relationship with each other. And so that's why I get excited about this and, and get excited about how I, alongside Christine and Ed, can facilitate those relationships. So we'll jump to the next slide there. I've, I've introduced, uh, yeah, Ed, Ed, whom you've met, Christy and myself. They're based out of St. Catharines, and then I work remotely. We live in a little town called Zurich, uh, Zurich, Ontario. I imagine that many of you have not heard of Zurich. We're just 10 minutes north of, of Grand Bend, uh, but shortly my family will be moving to Wellesley, which is about 20 minutes west of Waterloo. I'll be working remotely, so uh, Zoom has made a lot of things possible in terms of how we engage and work side by side. And then our, our vision as the interior conference of, of MB Churches is to glorify God by multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ through our member churches, one of which is Evergreen Heights, uh, by facilitating collaboration, by providing accountability and encouraging blessing. And then our strategic initiatives, we'll jump to the next slide there. Uh, establishing a holistic gospel presence. Holistic, just the sense of, you know, some churches it's all uh, word and some churches it's all deed. You know, we want to preach the word, we want to get people saved, and that's kind of, that's our narrow focus. And then others, we want to serve, we want to care for the poor, we want to work in areas of justice. And we have this sense that the gospel is holistic. It's not only individual salvation, it's not only about meeting tangible needs, but it's both together. The good news of Jesus is holistic. It cares about our future destination, our eternal security, but it also cares about the here and the now. We want to be developing leaders. We want to be building community, which I've referred to already. And then we want to be multiplying churches. And that connects in a little bit with, with my role. So 50% of my time will be given to exploring new expressions of church, church planting, uh, and all kinds of different ways that we can form disciple-making 
communities. Our society, we're moving further and further into post-Christian society, and that raises all kinds of questions. How do we engage people with the good news of Jesus? And so I'm, I'm not any kind of expert in this area, but what I am is a facilitator. And so when I hear that God is stirring things in different contexts, and I'll ask questions maybe to direct the, the stirring in those places, and then I want to connect churches with different resources, different ministry partners to kind of nurture that, whether it's a formal church plant, whether it's neighborhood uh, mission. So anyhow, that's, that's part of what we're up to, and that's an area that I, uh, I give attention to as well. One of our highlights, we'll jump to the next slide, one of the highlights in our last, uh, last number of months is our pastor's credentialing and orientation. We gathered 30 of our new pastors across Ontario. There were a few that came from Western Canada, and we were in St. Catharines. And basically, it's kind of a, a fire hose for a couple of days of saying, this is who we are as the MBs. This is how we partner together in faith and build some of those relationships. And the highlight for us was, uh, so you'll see there, uh, Billy Jo Isaac. She prefers to go by B. She is from Moose Deer Point First Nation, uh, Perry Sound Direction. And so she became credentialed as one of our pastors, and she's our first uh, First Nations uh, individual who's, who's credentialed. And we actually developed a new track for that's a little bit more story-based that fits a little bit more with the culture and the understanding of First Nations uh, people. So we're just really excited. And she has a strong prophetic voice that calls us to righteousness and calls us deeper into the kingdom of God. So I hope that in the years ahead, you'll be able to hear from, from B, just a blessing among us. Um, so yeah, but 30 of us all gathered together. Then we'll jump to the next slide. Connecting with our Ottawa church plants, this was another highlight for me in the last number of months. We've got a few uh, initiatives that have been planted, so you can see just the different leaders there. We've got the Gathering Church, which was started about 15 years ago. We have Bytown Community Church, led by a fellow named Dan Cook-Reed, and that's kind of a new church in the last year, year and a half that he's initiating. Southeast City, they've been together for four years. Can you imagine planting a church within, it's been hard enough on our, our established churches, much less planting a church about 18 months before COVID hits, but they're persevering and doing some really neat uh, gospel witness uh, presence in their neighborhood. And then Manatee Community Church as well, they'd have been planted about five or six years ago uh, just outside of Ottawa. So it's just, just to share with you that God is doing good things. People are meeting Jesus and no doubt it's a long haul through COVID for all of us. It's been a grind, but God is at work and just so excited to, to be with those partners a uh, number of hours away. And then for our, our last slide here, I want to encourage you to stay connected with ONMB. So if anything that comes up, feel free to email us, info at ONMB, and then it will get directed to the appropriate person. Follow us on Instagram, at ONMB Events, Facebook, at ONMB Events, or you can follow myself, at Ryan underscore ONMB. Feel free this morning just to, just to go on there and, and uh, give, give us a follow. That'd be great. And just a way of facilitating that connection. And as we share stories of what God is doing in our churches, as we share different mission initiatives or, or whatnot, maybe it's something where you're like, oh, that church is up to this. That's a great idea. Or, hey, I've been wondering about the same thing. And then we can facilitate that, uh, that connection because I do think that God speaks to us through one another. Now, as I move into my message, I need to make an apology to, I mean, to Phil <laughs> and everyone else that uh, I'd been working on a message for a number of days over the last actually two weeks or so, and it was about discipleship. I'm really passionate about discipleship. How do we do that in intentional ways? And so I was working away at this. And then last night I was driving, I was driving home in my car. We had a series of meetings uh, called Posture Shift for ONMB in St. Catharines this weekend. So I'm driving home, had two and a half hours to kind of think and pray and listen to some podcasts. And I felt God saying to me, that is not the message for Evergreen tomorrow. I'm like, ah, oh, are you kidding me? 
Um, so God had something else in mind, and, and it, it actually kind of makes sense. So I had all these slides, and Phil put a bunch of time in getting them ready for YouTube this morning, and then I was like, yeah, we're not doing that. So my apologies. We don't, don't have slides this morning, but I do, I do hope and trust that what God has led me uh, to share will be helpful to you on an individual basis as well as just for the stage of life that you're in as, as Evergreen. So as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, my family is in a stage of, of transition, with, uh, this, so I was pastoring the number, last number of years at Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. Great bunch, thoroughly enjoyed our time there. And now with my role, we're going to be moving back to kind of where we grew up. Our kids are going to be in, in school in the same town where their grandparents live, a shorter drive from my wife who's a maternity nurse in Stratford, and it just makes sense for us to move. We've had time to kind of ask God, where, where are we being led to? Our, our kind of anchor points were, I will be working from home, but also out of the multiply office. I think you had, was it last, was Robin here last week? Okay, so Robin and her team, I'll be working out of office space with them. So Waterloo is an anchor point, and Stratford, where Brittany works, was an anchor point. But we didn't know where, like what, what community, and we're thinking Mannheim, New Hamburg, Baden, maybe Wellesley. Now, that may be helpful if you know that area. And so we're thinking about it, we're praying, we're discussing it. Good heavens, my, my wife and I have talked hours of conversation trying to figure out where is God leading us to live. We're looking at real estate all over the place. And God just never made that clear. I didn't expect that to be the case. God did not make it clear. He kind of said, you know what, these are your anchor points and just somewhere. But he did not indicate this is the community that I'm calling you to. And even with that, we weren't exactly sure which church. I need to be a part of one of our MB churches. But there were a number of options and so we landed in a place where we said, all right, God, I guess you're not making it clear, so we'll just see what happens in terms of, uh, yeah, the, the right house, the right property, the right price that we'll end up at. And so that is what, what has unfolded. We bought a place at the beginning of February, and then our moving date will be the end of May. And we've ended up in a place called Kingwood, which is five minutes away from where I grew up. And uh, there's like 10 houses in Kingwood. I never would have thought I'd end up five minutes from where I grew up. And honestly, I don't know why God has called us to live in Kingwood. I feel very, like, I feel very settled and at peace with that, but I, I, I sincerely don't know. All I know is that that's where God's called us to live. All I know is it's great because we'll be near grandparents. All I know is that we, we love the home, um, but that's, that's kind of it. Like, I don't even know why with the church that we're going to be with. I don't know why. We have, a, we have a clear sense that God is calling us to be very present in our neighborhood, to get to know our neighbors and to find ways to share Jesus with them, but I have no idea. So we're in this place of curiosity and expecting to discover from God in the next number of years, like maybe, I hope at some point, like the light bulb will go on or there'll be some process of God revealing that if this is why he's called us to Kingwood. You can look it up on a, on a map. It's, there's nothing special about it whatsoever. Um, but in the midst of this uncertainty and this expectation that God will reveal it to us, I am feeling, there's many situations in which I don't trust God very well. In this situation, I do have a deep sense of trust. And that's because of the ways that I've experienced the sovereignty of God. The ways in which I've seen him to go ahead of us and to prepare the way. The ways in which I've seen God in other ways arrange events, arrange plans, carrying out his will, often in spite of us, God is sovereign and he directs our paths. And so that's what, that's what has given us this opportunity in this stage to say, all right, we're going to take this step. We have no idea why, but we don't think we're going to be hung out to dry. We don't think that this is going to crash and burn. There's something that you're up to, up to here, God, and we are going to wait and see. 
Life is incredibly unsettled right now for all of us. I think that's an understatement. You know, I, I don't need to go into great depth to try to convince you of that. We know that life is unsettled, whether it's because of COVID dynamics and shifting out of COVID, whether it's due to the, the stuff we're seeing in the news and the, and the war in Ukraine or trucker convoy stuff, um, just all of this. It's hard. And I know that you're in a season as well of transition with Jeff and Carrie having moved on, and it raises those questions of like, God, where are you taking us? Why now? What does this mean? What do you have and it's in these moments of unsettledness where life can be hard and it can be confusing and we can feel that anxiety, that lack of trust rise up. I know that I can. And I imagine that there are other pieces in your life. Maybe you're, you're caring for an aging parent. Maybe your kids are getting ready to move on out of home. All kinds of instances in which we experience that unsettledness, those questions, how is this going to unfold? God, what are you doing here. But I believe that being settled in, being founded on this truth and this belief in the sovereignty of God makes a significant difference in our capacity to walk through these situations. A classic verse for this is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm sure you've heard it. Some of you may have memorized it where it says that we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. A verse like this can come, become cliche, and we can just slap it on anything and everything and say, it'll be fine, God's got me, everything's going to be totally perfect, because God works everything out for my good. We can individualize it, we can over-spiritualize it, and say, like, I'm not going to experience any bumps along the way, because God's got me, he works everything out for my good. And I think that that's maybe taking it a bit too far. I'm not a fan of the saying that uh, there's a reason for everything. I don't think there's a reason for everything. I think that there are horrible, tragic events that happen that are not God's will for you. And I imagine that you can think of all kinds of instances in your life, lives around you, where something senseless happens, something incredibly traumatic, something that you look at and say, that's just, that's pure evil. These are not instances where God has said, all right, this exactly is what's gonna happen because I need to accomplish my purposes. That's not how God Works. I have friends. I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. Calvinists believe that God directs, and there's varying degrees of Calvinism, but they believe that God directs every single event. Um, I had a, a residence director when I went to, to Bible college at Briarcrest, and he said that when you play a game of hockey, God is directing every single bounce and movement of the puck. There is nothing that happens that he hasn't divinely arranged and directed. So there are many of our Christian sisters and brothers who believe along these lines. I've got lots of great friends who are, and, and that's fine. It, it's not the end of the world, but I don't believe that that's a faithful reading of Scripture. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. And yet, we trust in and we follow a God who uses, directs the circumstances of this world, whether it's broken um, the broken realities of the fall that play out in our world, whether it's decisions of sin, injustice, evil around us, God has this marvelous capacity because he's the king over all things to work these things out for his good. God knows how to take things and I, I think he probably finds a lot of delight in using pain and hardship and not, not to gloss it over, but to use those to bring forth what is good. I had a Bible college professor describe it once as if, uh, if you look in life, and, and he drew it out on a, on a whiteboard, and if, if I'd have had this sermon well prepared, 
If God could have told me on Monday instead of last night that this is what uh, ought to be preached, I would have had a nice diagram for you here. But uh, picture it as if it was a large arrow. So if you can picture just the arrow. That probably looks nothing like an arrow. So a large arrow. That is God's purposes, and he's directing his plan to unfold in human history. His plan to renew all things. His plan to draw people into relationship with him. His plan to extend his righteousness. So that's his plan. He's working it out. And then within that, there's all kinds of little arrows that go this way and that way and backwards and forward, and they're squirreling all over. And these are our decisions. That God doesn't direct our decisions. He doesn't direct any, every minuscule event. There are things that are horrible that happen to us. There are things that are horrible that we do to other people. But God uses all these little squiggly arrows, and he directs them within his big arrow of human history and his sovereign plan for our lives. That we can't thwart his purposes. My arrow could go every which way, but it's not going to thwart God's purposes. I can choose to step out of God's purposes. I can say, no, I'm, I'm going the other way. But ultimately, God's purposes will prevail. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17 also offer some really good insight into this idea of God's sovereignty. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And they say, For in him, for in Jesus... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth. That's pretty straightforward. I mean, we learned that maybe our first week, first year in Sunday school as a kid. All things were created in him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything holds together. Now, we could, we could spend uh, a lot of time kind of thinking about that, wondering about that. What exactly does that mean? But that suggests to me that when God holds all things together, there is nothing that takes place outside of his control. He has this active presence on a, you know, on a cosmic scheme, and then even within our individual lives, he has this active presence of holding things together, holding us in his care. This doesn't mean that life is perfect. It doesn't mean that it's completely straightforward. And, and actually, it's, so I'm, I'm just going off the cuff here, looking at you, Eric and Kelly. I remember when you were in Clinton and you were wondering, God, where, where are you taking us? Like, how does this make sense when the Blue Water Youth Facility closed, right? And we're having those conversations. It was hard, right? Dreaming about this or that and things weren't necessarily coming through, but you didn't know that God had this story for you to be here in Simcoe. But God was leading you forward in his will, even as it was a hard journey to get there, even as it was maybe a little bit messy. And our prime example that we see of this in the scriptures is the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. And I'm, it, I mean, it covers quite a few chapters. We're not going to work through it, but I'll just summarize it for you. Joseph was, uh, so Abraham was set out as like the father of the Israelites. It was his family who was going to um, pour out blessing into the world. It was through Abraham's family that God was going to bless all nations to establish his kingdom, to send a rescuer who would become Jesus. So you had Abraham, you had Isaac, you had Jacob, and then Joseph was the son of Jacob. So I guess that would have made Abraham his great-grandfather. Now, God had some big plans for Joseph, and he revealed these to Joseph in a dream. The first dream was, uh, was this vision of, of him and his brothers, and they were out 
uh, in the fields, and they were gathering sheaves, bundles of grain. And Joseph's bundles, or sorry, Joseph's brothers, he had 10 brothers, 11 brothers, and his brothers' sheaves bowed down to his. And then he had a second dream in which the sun, the moon, and the stars, which represented his mother, his father, and his siblings, they bowed down to him. That's, it's just ridiculous. Like, this is quite a grandiose uh, vision. The sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. Can any of you imagine ever your siblings and your parents bowing down to you? Like, that's just ridiculous. I know my sister would have something to say about that. Joseph very unwisely did not keep this to himself. He could have received that. I, I don't know exactly. You know, we have to do a little bit of guesswork with the text. I don't know exactly what God was wanting him to do with that news, if it was to hold on to it and just know that there's some divine purpose that's going to be worked out. But Joseph proceeded to tell his family. They weren't too impressed. His brothers, uh, they developed a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, a bitter edge toward him. And, and it turned out that eventually they sold Joseph into slavery so Joseph was taken as a slave into Egypt. He ended up working in the household, managing the household as a slave in a high-ranking official's home. Within that home, so Potiphar, the official, his wife, took a shine to Joseph. Joseph spurned her and said, I will not um, engage sexually with you. She wasn't a fan of that, so she arranged for him to be thrown into prison. So you got this this young fellow, and he's in prison. And he has this memory, this memory of these visions from God, of the sun, the moon, and the stars, his father, his mother, and his brothers bowing down to him. But here he was in a prison cell, probably wondering if he would ever get out. No idea what his future would look like, but surely, I, I can't imagine there was any way that he was like, oh yeah, like that's, someday I'm gonna get there. I'm going to guess that that seemed like a faint memory that he probably chalked up to him just being crazy in those earlier years. Joseph spent an extended period of time in the prison. In that prison, there was uh, the cupbearer for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of the empire, the leader of Egypt. And his cupbearer had ended up in prison. His cupbearer and then another fellow, they had some dreams. Joseph interpreted those dreams. And for the cupbearer, it was good news because it meant that he was returned to his place of service to Pharaoh. And he said, oh, this is great. Thanks, Joseph. Like, I'm going to remember you. Well, he didn't remember Joseph. He didn't speak warmly on his behalf. And so Joseph languished, languished in prison for a number of years longer. Surely, having a sense that he was alone, I can't imagine that he had a sense that God was there guiding his path. And so he languished in prison. Now, fortunately, it did happen that Pharaoh had a dream that really troubled him. I won't go into the details of the dream, but it really troubled him. And he tried to find someone to interpret that dream, but nobody could. And then all of a sudden it clicked for that, that cupbearer, and he said, hold on, I, th there was this guy, and he was in prison. His name was Joseph. He interpreted my dream, and it was super helpful, like, maybe you should talk to him. And so Joseph was summoned to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets it. It turns out that there's going to be a colossal famine that's going to affect the Egyptian empire and the surrounding areas. It's going to be utterly devastating. 
But the good news is that God was going to provide a number of years of surplus leading up to the famine. And if they were to respond appropriately, if they were to store the harvest and steward it well, God could deliver them from this famine. And so Joseph interprets this, and Pharaoh is pleased, and Pharaoh puts him second in command because of, I would assume, the access that he has to this divine insight, quite possibly because he had very good management skills, but Pharaoh wouldn't have even known that in the moment. So Joseph rises to second, the second highest position of influence and authority within the whole Egyptian kingdom. Now, interestingly, the famine affected, you know, years go by and the famine affects his family. They're running out of grain to eat. They're running out of food. The situation is dire. And so his brothers, they come to Egypt. They come seeking food. And imagine that they end up before Joseph. They, never, they wouldn't have recognized him. He, I would imagine he would have taken on the culture and the, and the, the dress, the attire. I, they didn't recognize him, but Joseph knew who they were. And eventually he does reveal himself to them and they're trembling and they're scared. Good heavens, this is a perfect opportunity for Joseph to exact revenge on his brothers, to spite them. Good heavens, they, they sent him away to die. Some of his brothers actually wanted him to die, but they sent him off to slavery. He had every right, according to our human understanding, to just pour out wrath upon them to inflict suffering. But Joseph did not. He reconciled with his brothers. They embrace and they weep. And something beautiful happens when he says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That's fascinating, eh? His brother sold him into slavery, but it was God who sent Joseph there ahead of them. Joseph goes on then in Genesis chapter 50. Verse 20, and he offers another summary statement to his brothers. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's after his brothers. They say, well, we're your slaves. He says, don't be afraid. I'm not in the place of God. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. That doesn't mean that his brothers didn't do evil. And I don't think it even necessarily means that God had it set out exactly that Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery. But I do believe, this I'm convinced of, that God did use those events to unfold his plan. This is what's, this is what's working out, so God is going to direct that path. God directed Joseph to work in Potiphar's house. God directed Joseph to end up meeting that cupbearer in the prison. God directed the cupbearer to then eventually remember Joseph. He directed Pharaoh to place Joseph in that place of prominence so that not only could he provide for the Egyptian empire, but also that he could provide for the people of God that Abraham's family, the one who would bless all nations, would be provided for and would survive, paving the way for Jesus the deliverer to come. 
we can't underestimate the significance of that famine. It is possible that this chosen family that would bless all nations could have been wiped out by the famine. But God sent Joseph ahead. And it's mysterious. I don't know what that arrangement is in terms of human, uh, human will, human activity, and God's sovereign direction. But I do believe this. In the sovereignty of God, God had a plan, and he made it happen. But the plan of God is never linear. I would imagine that for a good many of you, you can look back in your lives and you can see these instances where you were at your wit's end, where you thought you knew what God's will was and you went a certain direction and then it wasn't the right direction, but you can look back and you say, God's plan was good and he did carry me through. We have a similar, similar story in our household and, and uh, I guess, sorry, this touches with, with you uh, Kelly and Eric a little bit. I don't know if you know this story. When, during my time with, with Kingsville Clinton, so we were a house church. I was part-time with the church and was enjoying it. It was great. Loved the people. Um, I had been a student at Briarcrest Bible College in Saskatchewan. And when I was there, there was this position. It was a residence director. It was basically like a pastor to the students. And it would just like mentor us, would like eat meals with us, play hockey with us, and just share Jesus, disciple us. And I remember being like, oh, someday I want that job. And things were going great with Kingsville Clinton. Um, I was, yeah, like I said, like I, I was enjoying it. There was, there was no inkling of me that it was time to move on or anything. But then I saw an ad for this job that I'd always said that I want someday. This would have been about 2013. And when I saw that ad, it was as if uh, my life in Clinton went to black and white and the possibility of this position in Saskatchewan went to full color. Did you guys know this? Have I ever told you this story? It's kind of, kind of hazy. Anyhow, um, so, so I, I, you know, I'm chatting with Brittany. She's like, well, it doesn't hurt. Like, why don't you apply and see what God says? And like, I was just, I was there, like in my heart, my mind, like this, God's calling me to this. I've wanted this. And so I'm processing with a few friends and a few mentors and, and getting a variety of feedback. And a few that are like, yeah, like this is, this is great. This is a good idea. Meanwhile, we're pregnant with our second, second child. And Brittany's got a great job at the, at the, the hospital in Stratford. But I'm like, yeah, like, God, like God's calling us. And I said to Brittany, I said, we're not going to go Unless, like, unless you know this is God's will too. But I was so sure that I was pretty convinced that, you know, she wasn't there yet, but God was going to convince Brittany. Like, she'd come around. Like, I'd heard God's voice. And it was just up to Brittany to get on board, or, you know, God would make that click at some point. So we were going through the process. I knew Brittany wasn't too sure about it, but God was calling us, and so it'd be fine. And had an interview, got off the phone. They were going to fly us out to kind of be able to process that together. And, uh, and then they, we'd had another interview, and then, anyway, they were, they were saying, you know, we got to check a few boxes, we'll bring you out, but, like, the job is yours. And I was like, sweet. And I got off the phone, and I told Brittany, and Brittany was in tears, and she's like, no, we're not going. I was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? And it's interesting, because I wasn't, if I remember correctly, I wasn't angry at Brittany. It was more of, like, like, I understood the reasons why I understood that she wasn't there, but I was like frustrated with God. Like, I thought you were going to change her mind. <laughs> um, and, and so it was interesting. Like, and, and, you know, like within, for those of you in, in marriage or even within close friendships, like you, you recognize points in which your own priorities and values don't line up with one another. And this was an instance where the way that I want to live life and kind of what I love to do was, was run counter to who God has made Brittany to be. So long story short, that was difficult. We had some hard conversations through tears that were emotional about in terms of like the direction of our lives and God's, God's will, so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, so anyway, we didn't go. 
and stayed there with the church for a number of years. And the crazy thing is, is that now, without hesitation, there's no doubt in my mind that it was not God's will for us to go. That God had a reason for us to continue on for the, with the church for a number of years, and then we transitioned into the church, uh, Kingsville Zurich Mennonite, um, that had planted uh, Kingsville Clinton. And I, I just have a very clear sense now that that was not God's will for us, and he had to use Brittany to let me know. But I share that simply to say that I've experienced this in terms of like, we, it's, it's really confusing to know God's will sometimes. His sovereign plan, as it works out, can feel crazy messy. And I don't know if you can identify with that. Maybe you're, you're navigating tension within your family. Maybe you're navigating, or, or you're just like, what is the way forward for us as a church in this season of transition? And I know that, that Jeff's transition has also uh, meant a transition with Carrie and the, and the daycare. And like, that's, that's hard stuff. Like, God, what are you doing? What's the plan here? And, and maybe, I don't know what your process will look like. Maybe you'll go down certain paths and you're like, pretty sure this is God's will and he'll pull you back. Or Anyway, it's, it, it's not always super clear. It's not always a linear path. And yet I firmly believe that God has us in his hands. It doesn't mean we won't make missteps. It doesn't mean there won't be hurt along the way. But God has us in his hands and he has a plan that he's carrying out and he will direct you in good ways if we're open. Well, even when we're not open to that. I wasn't open to that and God still directed me. (laughs) But that gives a lot of hope when we're heading through uncertainty. It can feel very paralyzing but for myself that adds so much hope and so much trust to know that God has got me. God has got me. It's not going to look exactly how I think it might, but God has got me. And really, I mean, this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of of the good news. It's remarkable even with the story of Jesus that those who thought that they were thwarting, they thought that they were um, doing away with this radical prophet, And there's this uh, high priest by the name of Caiaphas. Uh, John 18, verses 12 to 14. You know, the religious religious leaders, they'd been hatching a plan to get rid of Jesus. He'd been causing trouble. And earlier on in John 11, Caiaphas has said that it's actually good for one man to die for the people. We'd rather kill this one guy who's causing all kinds of disturbance rather than him ignite some kind of a revolution where more will die. And then John 18, it says, the detachment of soldiers with its commander... And the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. And they brought him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest of that year. And Caiaphas was the one who back, and it's referenced back in John 11, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. It's fascinating. He was a prophet and he didn't even know it. He thought that he could get away with this revolutionary. The same way that I believe that the deceiver The evil one that Satan thought, well, if I can just knock off this Messiah, then we'll be good to go. And God had this marvelous way of taking what they intended for evil and turning it for good. I don't know what the look of Satan's face was when Jesus stepped out of that grave. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like just utterly shattered that here his grand plan that he'd devised had been turned around the same way. Caiaphas had no idea. Oh yeah, it'd be good for him to die so that it doesn't cause a revolution so that more people won't die. And this prophetic word, that's exactly what Jesus did. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He walked in as a substitute. He took on the wages of sin. Our sin leads us toward death. Our sin is so destructive. It creates strain and distance in our relationship with God. And Jesus said, I'm gonna step in. 
I'm going to stand in on your behalf. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to die one man dying for the many. Just, it's astounding to me how God works this out. And now in, in many of the instances where we feel unsettled, it's not that we are doing terrible things and God thwarts that. That certainly is the case some of the time. But I'm not saying that's all the time. But this simply shows God's sovereign capacity to carry out his will, to direct our plans to carry us into the future in good and wonderful ways, regardless of what we understand, regardless of what we do or what we don't do. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I serve a God who operates in this way. I'm so glad. In Jesus we have redemption. These are the words of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in the accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Satan was trying to destroy us, and God just stepped in and said, all right, I'm just going to pour out my love through this event. I'm going to forgive them for their sins. I'm going to set them free. Our God is a God who's sovereign, and that gives hope. And so in this instance that we're in the thick of, and, and let's be clear, we had to sell our house like a week ago, and I was stressing out about it. I don't have this figured out. Like on an objective level, it's like, oh yeah, God's got this, we're fine. But then as you're waiting to hear offers, like I was, can the kids, can you attest, I was maybe a little bit stressed out a week ago? Could you tell? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was still stressed out about it. Like, oh my goodness, like what happens if this or that or whatever? Um, but ultimately, we can walk through these situations and these scenarios. And I believe that for you, the people of Evergreen, in this season, we have all of our personal instances, but no doubt for our church, it does add this unsettled nature that you can trust, that even if it's not easy, even if it's not clear, God has got you. He's gathered you together as a people. He's directed when, when Tamil was a babysitter for Richard Martin's kids. You had no idea, Right? Richard Martins didn't know, you folks didn't know, that Tamil would be here shepherding you through this time of transition. That's the sovereignty of God at work. It's remarkable. And so that gives us hope to trust in the days, the months, the weeks ahead, that whatever it looks like, God has got you, he will carry you, and he is good. And so it is for us in our transition. I don't know why I'm going to live in Kingwood 10 houses, five minutes from where I grew up. If you'd have told me when I was 19, I was like, no, I'm not going to live in Kingwood. But I'm curious. I could be overwhelmed by fear. You know, what if our neighbors aren't great? What if we pay too much for the house? What if this? What if that? What if we end up... But I don't know. I'm, I'm curious because God is sovereign and he has this way of carrying out his good plan. So I invite you. I invite you to sit with that. Uh, through the remainder of today, maybe tonight as you fall asleep and just think through, where are the instances of unsettledness where I need to trust in God? And actually, maybe before you do that, to think through where are the instances in which I've experienced the sovereignty of God? Because I do think that we all have our stories. And again, hear me clear, that does not mean that everything that happens, you may have experienced incredible trauma. That was not God's will when you've been sinned against, when you've been harmed. That was not God's will. That wasn't God doing that for his purposes. And yet he's holding you and he's carrying you and he's leading you into his good future. God is sovereign. So two pieces. Reflect back on where you've seen the sovereignty of God. Reflect back. And then reflect forward. Where am I experiencing unsettledness that I can trust more fully in God because of his sovereignty? 
Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. And so I entrust this word of the Holy Spirit to minister in your hearts, to give you hope, and to guide you uh, personally and then corporately as Evergreen Heights Fellowship um, in the days ahead. Let's uh, take a moment and pray together. God, we give you thanks that you, you even care about us. Here we are in Simcoe, just a, a, a bunch of ordinary people. There's nothing special about us, and here you are, the creator of all things, the one who sustains the universe. And yet you, you care about us. So we honor you and we give you thanks. And we entrust ourselves to your sovereignty. God, and I pray for each one of us, because we do, we confess, we carry fear. We carry um, selfishness. And just this, if, if I can just take care of my own destiny, I mean, that's true for me, and I'm, I'm gonna guess it's true for many here. We confess that to you, we hold that to you, we surrender it to you. And God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would transform our hearts, that we could walk in light of your sovereignty. I pray for Evergreen Heights this morning. God, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit. I pray that you'd give them hope. And I join with them right now in praying for those whom you will call to lead us, in the, lead them in the years ahead. I pray that you'd bless Tamil, sustain her, bless the elder board, give them courage and give them vision. But we pray now today for that person, whomever they may be that will come to lead. And we trust in your sovereignty because you are good. You've never let us go. You've never let us go. You've shown yourself in all of those ways, most of all through Jesus, through your death and resurrection. And so we entrust ourselves to your sovereignty. Thank you, God. Guide us. Bless these, bless these people, I pray. To your glory, Jesus. Less of us, more of you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.